Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Well, um, our guest speaker here today is uh, someone I've known for a very long time. I think I was uh, just talking to him. I think we met when I was 19 years old. And um, I had hair back then. And uh, I, I was a kid just running around, sloppy kid trying to figure his stuff out. And uh, he really stepped in and took me under his wing, um, really poured into me as a man, uh, as a young man, uh, let me cut my teeth on the pulpit. Um, I served under him along in the college ministry. He helped me become a pastor. He discipled me. He helped me learn to surf, uh, would let me surf all of his surfboards. He's the one who taught me all of that. And, uh, and also, he's just a fantastic father. He's a fantastic grandfather. He's a fantastic husband. He's been a great model for many of the young men uh, that I know. And, and so it's, it's such a blessing and privilege. Um, we had the opportunity to oversee something called The Well, which was the college and career ministry. It grew from like 70 kids, like over 500 kids in a matter of just a couple years. And uh, it was a huge party, a little revival that broke out. And Mike was in the back end really just overseeing and letting all these young guys just do uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, he's letting us drive the Ferrari for some reason. You know, he'd give us the keys, not, not literally, but you know, uh, you let young people um, give them a lot of rope and see what they'll do. And uh, it was amazing to watch God's hand work uh, there at Harvest. He's now the uh, campus pastor at Harvest Orange County and uh, has worked Harvest Crusades for decades. And again, is a, a great friend, mentor, and blessing to me. And so let's give a warm legacy welcome to Pastor Mike Junker. Thank you for that, Josh. Well, we're really excited about what the Lord's doing here in Studio City slash Los Angeles. And yes, I did know Josh when he had long hair down below his shoulder, and it was brown and wavy and full, and you got to use your imagination, right? <laughs> but uh, I remember one time, Josh, we were at uh, Huntington Beach, and we were, we were just sharing Jesus, talking about Jesus with people, and the Harvest Crusade was coming up, and these ladies came up, and, and they thought... They were like, are you Jesus? They thought Josh was Jesus Christ himself. I had to talk him out of it. It was like, no, he's not Jesus, he's Josh. And uh, we, had a, we had a good time with that. But, you know, it's been a real blessing seeing God work not only in Josh's life and Katie, but uh, Aaron and Ricky and, and Scott and uh, your worship leader, Ben. And, you know, we were all, we were, we were part of a, a move of God um, a while back in rivers in the Riverside area and you know we had four college campuses we had Riverside City College we had Cal State San Bernardino we had University of California Riverside and then Cal Baptist University and God was just doing this great work and all these young people these college students were just on fire for Christ and these guys were you know bring them to Christ and then discipling them and it was very exciting and God was really on the move and God's still on the move isn't he He's still on the move, and, um, you know, just uh, let me tell you about something that's going on. You may have heard of this, uh, this movie that's coming out in February called The Jesus Revolution, which uh, rewind about another 30 years from that. Uh, Pastor Greg Laurie had come to Christ, and this movie is all about this movement that took place in Southern California 
back in the late 60s, early 70s with Pastor Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee and Greg Laurie. And um, Lionsgate has put together a movie. They've put their money behind it and created a feature film. And it's going to be coming out in February in all the major theaters. And it's about... The, the move of God, about God bringing a whole generation to himself and uh, them coming to Christ. And it's such a great movie. It shows a lot of the, you know, the period scenes of the 70s, and there's a lot of great old rock and roll music in it. And uh, there's actually a scene where Greg prays the sinner's prayer. So the sinner's prayer is actually in the movie. So the purpose of the movie is not just to kind of glory in what God did, did in the past, and we do glory in that, we do rejoice in that, but it's to plant the seed for a whole new generation of people who are growing up in, in the world right now that are confused and don't know about Jesus. So we're looking forward to that. So I hope you guys take an opportunity to um, watch that movie when it comes out in February. I think there, you'll probably hear a lot of advertisement about that, but uh, that's coming up. Well, here we are. We're in the Christmas season, right? And uh, we had a great, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. And I thought today appropriate for the Christmas season was to bring a message on the resurrection. So uh, I'm going to be talking about the resurrection of Lazarus in John chapter 11. So if you guys want to turn to John chapter 11, you know, we could say that the three greatest days of our faith are really a trilogy. They're the birth of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Without the incarnation, without the birth of Christ, there wouldn't be a crucifixion. Without the resurrection, we would still be in our sins, and we, would have, we wouldn't have the hope of heaven and eternity. So I want to talk about the resurrection today. You know, the stats are in that one out of one born will die, right? We all kind of know that, that that's going to happen, some sooner and some much later. But it's going to happen. I was doing a little research, and the oldest person living today is a woman named Lucille Randon. And she lives in France, and she's 118 years old. 118 years old. That's like, she's a super centurion. And uh, she was born February 11th, 1904. Now, that's, that's like horse and buggy days. I mean, the Model T didn't even come out till I think, 1908. So there weren't even automobiles around when she was born. So picture that. But at 75, she started caring for the elderly <laughs> until she was 100 years old, and then she retired. And now she is uh, being taken care of herself, and she's 118, and she's blind. And when Lucille was told that she was the oldest living person, person she said, that's a sad honor, and I'd rather uh, better be off in heaven. And she expressed joy being pampered by her family. She continues to enjoy chocolate and a glass of wine every day. <laughs> <laughs> now, the world's oldest man, because you ladies live longer than us guys, it seems like. The stats are in on that too. But the oldest living man is a guy named Juan Vincent Perez Mora of Venezuela. He is... Uh, was born in 1909, so he's 113 years old. And these are some old people. But his secret to long life, he said, was hard work, rest on the holidays, go to bed early, 
drink a glass of agua, whatever that is, I don't even know what that is, agua diente, every day, and love God and always carry him in your heart. So hopefully we'll live to 113, right? But every person born before Lucille Randon has died. Every single person that was born before her has died. You know, Hebrews 9.27 says, as is, it is appointed unto man once to die once, but after this, the judgment. And it's ironic and even tragic that many haven't planned for that day. I was reading a, uh, a magazine, Esquire magazine, had a, the cover was Robert Redford. And by the way, the, the magazine stand down the street, kind of New York reminiscent, that's very cool. I almost pulled over and bought a magazine on the way to church just because I thought it was a cool thing, you know. But uh, this magazine had an article about uh, Robert Redford and the picture, he looked, you know, older, more wrinkles, but he was the star of, you know, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sting and Jeremiah Johnson and, and those movies and others. But he was asked about death and his comment was, well, we're all, we're, we're all heading to the same station. And that was his answer about death. And in the same magazine, there was an article with Hugh Hefner and, uh, of course, Hugh Hefner is now passed, but they asked Hugh Hefner about the afterlife, and he said, no, this is it. This is what you get. And I'd have to agree with Billy Graham, who said, it's strange that men will prepare for everything except death. We prepare for education. We prepare for business. We prepare for careers, for marriage. We prepare for even old age and retirement. But very few prepare for death. But what does the Bible say about death? What does Jesus have to say about life after death? And we're going to look at this account in John 11 and see what we can learn from this story about Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. So let's start reading in John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, it seems like Jesus spent a lot of time with his family and was close with all of them, with both uh, with, with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And they lived in Bethany, which was about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. And Bethany was, uh, well, it wasn't a vacation city, let's say that. You know, the Jerusalem is called the city of peace. Bethlehem is called the house of bread. And Bethany was actually called the city of misery. And what happened was it had become a place where a lot of people just went when they had no place else to go. So there were a lot of uh, homeless, there were a lot of uh, handicapped people that had gone there because back then they didn't have the ADA, they didn't have these things. And so there, were, there was just a tough town. And it seemed like Lazarus and Mary and Martha were almost guardians of the city. It seemed like they had some means and they not only were they friendly and loved Jesus and followers of Jesus, but... They kind of were in the town for a reason. God had them there for a reason. I used to uh, be in the auto parts business many years ago before I became a pastor. And I used to call on cities all over Southern California, Nevada. 
And, you know, it's interesting to go in some of these cities that we call one-horse towns. You know, they're just small towns. There's not much there. But it seemed like there was always people that lived in those towns that were just salt-of-the-earth people. They just had good hearts. They wanted to minister. They wanted to take care of people in their town. And it seemed like Lazarus and Mary and Martha were those kind of people. And they loved Jesus on top of that. And of course, that's a good reason why Jesus would hang out in Bethany because he loved to minister to people and there was plenty of people there to minister to in Bethany. So Jesus was friends with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And it says in verse 4, we'll continue reading, when Jesus heard that he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And then Jesus decides he's going to stay a couple days longer before he goes to Bethany. And he tells his disciples, this sickness isn't to death, but for the glory of God. And there's a powerful truth here in the words of Jesus. Very powerful. That God works through difficult seasons and difficult times, even when they're dark times. God is working. Even like the song that we were just singing. God was working. Here was Lazarus was sick, yet Jesus was holding off going to heal Lazarus because he had a bigger work planned. God will allow the dark to show us that he is the light. Corey Ten Boom who was a Holocaust survivor and a Jesus lover, said that when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. I love that. Corey Tim Boom is with the Lord now. That's such a great statement. And Jesus tells his disciples here, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let's keep reading in verse 5. Now Jesus moved, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you were going there again? What had happened here, Jesus had just kind of been run out of the whole Jerusalem area and had gone up and they were there. He basically had people coming after him and the disciples and they were throwing rocks at him. They were after them and Jesus had gone away, but now he's going back and the disciples really aren't really that stoked to go back to that same area. So they were puzzled about this. They might've thought that Jesus wouldn't go back there. And they weren't really pushing Jesus to go there themselves. Yet Jesus had a plan. I love that song we just sang, Waymaker. Because it really is true that God is always working. You know, the lyrics to that song, You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop working. Always, God is working. So after two days, Jesus says, let's go. And the disciples reluctantly go with him. 
Remember, they're, they're thinking about the rocks, but Jesus is thinking about something much bigger. And it says in verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day and does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the light, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things Jesus said, and after he said that to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. See, a Jewish day was broken into two parts. There were basically 12 hours of light, and there was 12 hours of dark, and they would work in the day. At night, they didn't have lights like we do. We have lights everywhere. But back then, if it was dark, it was dark. You would, you would stay home. And Jesus was saying, it's daytime, let's work. We have work to do. It's time to go, not later. Let's go. And I love this because so often we, we wait around kind of for the stars to align almost for us to make a move, you know, to take a step, to do something. And God sometimes just says, take a step of faith, let's go. And so often it's, it's us that are sitting down and not moving, not taking that step of faith. And God wants us to make a move. Maybe to start loving someone that we haven't loved or forgiving someone that we haven't forgiven. God says, let's go. Let's love. Let's forgive. Maybe he's saying to make a move um, with your husband or with your wife. Maybe to start doing something that you haven't done or stop doing something that maybe is holding you back from God's plan. God is saying, it's time. It's daytime. Let's do this now. And we want to hold on to it. We want to kind of just protect ourselves because we think that God's going to do something bad. Isn't that crazy that we don't trust God when God is leading us to do something? It's daytime. Don't wait until it's dark or it's too late. If God is leading you to do something, if, you, if God is impressing you to do something, do it. It's daytime. It's time to work. You know, we're called to walk with Jesus where he's going, where he's leading. He doesn't ask us to go alone. He goes with us. He's going before us and with us in these things that he's leading us to do. Let's read verse 12. It says, Then his disciples said, Lord, he who sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus said to him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may also die with him. Now, this is Thomas that we know about who was doubting Thomas, right? The Thomas who said, I'm not going to believe in Jesus, that Jesus rose unless I can stick my hand in his side or my fingers in his hand. And I'm just reminded here that Sometimes our faith is fickle, isn't it? Sometimes we believe and sometimes we just don't believe. But here, Thomas is saying, let's go. Let's go with him. We'll die with him. I got to give Thomas some, some props there. That's good. But our faith shouldn't be fickle. We should always trust God. You know, Jesus used this word here, sleep, as a euphemism that they didn't quite get. Finally, Jesus just had to cut to the chase and say, Lazarus is dead. And that probably blindsided the disciples, just like it does us when someone tells us that someone has died. It shocks us. It, it, it hurts us. 
We feel the pain of that. Jesus gives the purpose for his delay that they would believe, that they would believe. He tells them, this is so you will believe. And God relays that to us as well. Sometimes God's timing is slower than we think it should be because God is teaching us to trust him, to believe in him, and to keep believing in him. Sometimes God has plans that are bigger than we can imagine. And we are asking for something, and God wants to blow our minds with something bigger than we can even imagine. You know, look back at your own life. Look back at your own prayer life. And look at the things that God has done in your life as a believer. You know, we just had Thanksgiving, and that's what we do. We remember God's goodness and God's blessing in our life. But think about how God has done a work maybe in your wife or your husband or your child. Great praise report right here today, right, with Mark? I believe it was Mark. Yeah, great praise report. God is working. Even we don't see that he's working. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and we can look back and thank God for the things that he's accomplished in our life. But there are things we're going through now. There are things that we're encountering that we're like, God, we're not really sure what you're doing. Are you working? Yes, he's working. He's always working. And why? So he can be glorified in that work as he brings us along with himself. You know, the last time I was here, I had, uh, well, actually, you know what? I was just thinking about my, my own, you know, Thanksgiving and the last time I was here, my wife was, uh, was here with me, and my mom was here with me too. And it was Mother's Day. And uh, I think Josh was in Israel. And my mom was sitting right over here. Well, my mom is with the Lord now. She went to be with the Lord. But um, my mom was raised by two alcoholic parents. They were loving parents, but they were not good parents. And they were alcoholic. And they never took her to church. But they did once in a while, drop her off at church on Sunday, which seems strange. We don't, you don't see these things happening these days, but back then, I guess people did that. Let's drop them off at church, you know, and then they'd probably go drink or something. But so they dropped off this girl, little girl. She was pre, like preteen, dropped her off at church. Well, at church, she got saved. She put her trust in Jesus and then married my dad at 19 years old, and had four kids, me being one of them, and my mom's family grew, and through the years, all her children, even now, are walking with the Lord, and their grandkids are walking with the Lord, and their, grand and their great grandkids, we're hoping they walk with the Lord, they're little, but... Um, the Lord did such a great work in her life and in her ministry, and um, she has two grandsons that are pastors. Of course, I'm a pastor, but here's this little girl whose alcoholic parents are dropping her off at church, and she's wondering what God's going to do in her life, and then God makes her a matriarch of our family and just leaves this legacy of, this, of, of God's work and faithfulness in her life. And it's amazing to think about that. And uh, I thank God for that. But, you know, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able 
to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory. That passage says exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even think to ask. What are you praying for right now? God is saying, you're praying for that. I want to do something even bigger and greater than you can even imagine. That's the faithfulness of God. That's the love of God. And in verse 17, let's read on. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you, that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. So here are these two sisters. They're grieving in the dark. I think it's cool that the town people had come to comfort them. That was cool because grief is a, a lonely place. Grief is a lonely, lonely place. Maybe some, someone in here is grieving. And it's rare that we can share in people's grief, but we can share in their comfort. We can come alongside them and comfort them. Sometimes it's just being there. Sometimes it's just ministering them in some small way just to let them know that you love them and care for them and pointing them to Jesus because 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 1 that he, God is the God of all comforts who comforts us in all our afflictions. God is the God of all comfort. So Jesus, well, I love Martha's faith here. She says, whatever you ask, Lord, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. That's a great statement, but she didn't understand it completely. She said, he said, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And which shows us that Martha was a student of the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament talks about the resurrection and teaches the resurrection. You know, most beliefs don't really have an answer for the afterlife. There's an obscure or an esoteric response, like our spirits live on someplace, or, you know, you, you become something else. You're reincarnated. And I've never really quite understood reincarnation because, like, what, like I was a dog, and now I'm me, and maybe I'm going to be a cat and reincarnate. I mean, it's just, I've talked to people that follow a face that believe that, and they don't even really believe it. They're like, I don't know. I just kind of just go along with it or whatever. But there's no tangible evidence to their belief about the afterlife. It's just someone's made something up or someone's thought something to be. But see, as Christians, we believe in the resurrection because the Bible teaches and we have evidence of it. We have evidence of the resurrection. And it says here, well, like Robert Redford said, this is it. Well, this isn't it. In the Old Testament, Psalms 16.10, David writes about the resurrection. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or hell, 
nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's one. Daniel received an angelic message from God that said, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then Job, who went through a lot, Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at that last day. And after my skin is destroyed, that I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. So Martha didn't have a problem with the resurrection. She believed in the resurrection. She just didn't know that Jesus was going to do something so incredible and amazing, like resurrecting her brother that day. And she didn't realize the victory over death was possible through Jesus himself. Through Jesus himself. Now Jesus shares these words that resonate and echo through all ages in John eleven twenty five, 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I got to read that one again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus was looking into Martha's eyes. And he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the son of God who has come into the world. And to that we say, good job, Martha, right? Good response. But let me ask you, have you come to this place in your belief about the resurrection? Do you say that about the resurrection yourself? Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into the world. Because we're continually, we continually encounter that question in our life. Continually. Think about it. When you first believed, right? When you first believed, you had to believe in the resurrection of Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, you had to believe in the incarnation, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. You had to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life and died on the cross for our sins, for your sin, for my sin, all of our sins. You had to believe that he rose again. But what about when someone that you love has died. Again, we're encountered with that. Do I believe in this resurrection? Do I believe that God has the power to bring reunion? We're encountered with that. How about when someone's in the hospital, going through something, do we believe in God's power to raise the dead? And I'm not talking immediately. I'm talking about ultimately. Do we believe that? And Jesus brings us to that place many times in our walk. You know, my, my dad, when he passed away eight years ago, we thought he was going to survive. He was in the hospital basically fighting for his life, and we really thought God was going to heal him. And many times when the doctors would say, we, couldn't, we can't do anything, and he would kind of get over the hump, we can't do anything more, he'd get over the hump. 
but we came to this realization that he wasn't going to make it. But we were all brought to that place where it's like, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that this isn't it, that God has a bigger plan. Even if our dad or our loved one passes, that God has a bigger plan in this and that there will be reunion. And undergirding everything was the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And even when the days seem dark, whether it be personally or culturally or economically or politically, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And maybe you're being reminded of that this morning, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, both eternally and abundantly. You know, before Jesus had come back up into Bethany, he was down teaching and preaching. And he had taught in John chapter 10 that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he was telling the disciples that, that the enemy is coming. He's coming to rip you off. He's trying to get you off track in your relationship with me. He's going to come and steal, kill, and destroy. And we're reminded of that in our own life, that the enemy is always trying to get us off track, always trying to get us to doubt our faith, to doubt God and his promises. And Jesus says, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give life, and that more abundantly. He wasn't even talking about eternal life. He was talking about life abundantly, meaning God is working in our lives. God is going to continue to work and do great things in our life. He's the way maker. The enemy has our worst in mind, but God has our best in mind because he is greater. And then let's keep reading in verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary her sister, and said, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as they heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, but it was the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were there with her in the house, comforting her, and they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out and followed her, saying, she is going forth to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A tender moment here. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and Jesus uh, and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? He groaned in his spirit. He was saddened by death. You know, I don't believe that some of the commentators say that Jesus was upset because they didn't believe what he said. I don't really believe that at all. I believe Jesus groaned in his spirit because he was, he was grieving with them. He was grieving along with them because Jesus isn't robotic. He has emotions. He has feelings. He feels with us. In fact, Isaiah 53 says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus isn't robotic. He grieves with us. He's with us in our sorrows like nobody else can be. He's right there with us. And Jesus says, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. 
Some things are just worth crying about, aren't they? You know, sometimes we hear someone say, you know, I never saw him cry, you know, like it's a badge of honor, you know, for a guy, you know, it's like he never cried. He was super tough, you know, but I think that uh, some things are worth shedding a tear over. Would you say? My dad always was a, was a kind of a man's man, strong guy, but I saw him cry a few times, one when his dad passed away and one when there was a, a family tragedy. And I think about that because I think sometimes people think that I can't cry because it's a sign of weakness. And it's not a sign of weakness because guess what? Jesus wept and Jesus wasn't weak. So some things are worth shedding a tear over. The Bible actually says that God holds our tears in a bottle. He holds them in a bottle, meaning that when we weep, he remembers those things that we're weeping over because they're precious to him. And he wants to minister to us. Now, I don't mean that we should go around crying like a baby all the time, but we should have compassionate hearts and we shouldn't be hard. We shouldn't be hard. And then Jesus said, see how... He loved him. And some of them said, could this not man, this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Now check this out. It says, again, Jesus groaning came to the tomb and it was, there was a cave and a stone over it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead said, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. For four days. So there's a stench. I like the King James Version. It says, he stinketh. <laughs> so they were anticipated something smelly. But Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that, you're all, that you always hear me because the people who are standing by, and I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloths. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. What a great scene. Pastor Greg has said, it's a good thing that Jesus prefaced it with Lazarus, or all those who had died would have risen. <laughs> but Lazarus comes out and, you know, he's wrapped in, it looks like, you know, ace bandages. You know, he's got grave clothes wrapped around his legs and his, his body and his face. He's probably pulling them off and comes out. looks like a scary movie. But it tells us here that many believed. They believed. Verse 45, and many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. And some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them things Jesus did. So some believed and some didn't believe. Jesus did the impossible. He raised a man from the dead. He overrode death with his words. Rise. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What does the resurrection mean to us today? Well, one, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. Romans 1.4 says, He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus did what no one had ever done before. And he raised someone from the dead. Jesus is God. God incarnate. Secondly, the resurrection assures us of a living hope. We have a living hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's a living hope. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, our hope in life and death is rooted in the resurrection and the power to raise the dead. It trumps everything. It's grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can hope. The third thing the resurrection secures is our, secures our justification. It secures our justification. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up because of our offenses, and he was raised because of our justification. See, when Jesus himself rose from the dead, he guaranteed that our sins were not only paid for, all of them, but that we are forgiven, and also that we would receive his righteousness. That's what happened at the resurrection of Jesus. He assured us that that was a, a proof that our sins are forgiven and that we have the righteousness of God. Our sin was imputed to Jesus and his righteousness was imputed to us. You know, justification means that not only that we are not guilty, but that we are innocent. Sometimes we forget that. We like to carry around our guilt or our sin. Listen, this is so important. Because of the resurrection, Christ took all of our sin, all of our guilt to the cross. All of it. Yesterday's, today's, tomorrow's. It all went to the cross with Jesus. And he gave you and me his righteousness. That right standing with God. Just like you had never sinned. Just like you had done nothing wrong. And just like you had done everything right. Wow. It's like unbelievable, huh? It's like it doesn't even seem fair. It's not fair. But it's a free gift of God. That's what God has given you and me. So that we can walk with him and know him. And have that relationship with him. We walk in the righteousness of Christ. Because of the resurrection. And I got to stop thinking it's something that I can do. It's something that Christ has already done. And our response to him is to love him and thank him and live for him. You know, in the sports world, they make trades all the time, right? Basketball, baseball, football. And it surprises us, some of the trades that are made. And some people will say, this is the greatest trade. This is the greatest trade. Well, the greatest trade of all time was that Jesus took our sin and became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ in Jesus. That's the greatest trade of all time. And it's done. And there's no more trading. 
It's done. The next thing, the, the resurrection, guarantees our bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says in 40, verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption and is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. This corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality. See, this is a hope that we have. This is the hope that we hang on to when we're going through the dark days, that there is a resurrection. And when these bodies are breaking down, when we get older or whatever, that there's a resurrection. And that we're going to be incorruptible and immortal. So Captain America and Spider-Man and whoever, Superman, move over. We're going to be immortal. We're going to be incorruptible. I think that the imaginations of all these Marvel and, you know, these people that create these comic strip and superheroes are rooted in the fact that we were made in the image of God and that we were created to be immortal, but we lost that because of sin. But because of the resurrection, Christ gives us back our immortality in Christ because of the resurrection. The fifth thing is that it provides us the power to live for Jesus daily. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. See, because of the resurrection, we can be steadfast. We can be immovable. We can be living for Jesus daily because of what he has done for us. We can live God's plans and purposes because Jesus has provided the victory for us. God allows some seasons of light and dark, but none of them are in vain. None of them are in vain. Because we have the victory. So don't forget that and preach that to yourself. That God has a plan. God has a purpose even in this. Even when we don't see he's working, he's working. He's working because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe you came in here today and maybe you are encountered with that question. Man, do I believe in this resurrection? Maybe you're sick. Maybe someone you love is sick. Maybe you're just going through a, a heavy trial right now. Or maybe you don't know Christ at all. You haven't believed. And Jesus asks you the question, like he did Martha. Do you believe? You'll see the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending Jesus. And Lord, we're going to celebrate his birth all month long. But Lord, we remember the resurrection and all that has been given to us because Jesus, you have the power over death. You could speak and we live. Lord, we just thank you for that. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are facing that right now, facing that challenge, Lord, of believing in you, that they would just put their trust in you and believe in all that you have for them, that you are working even when they may not see that you're working because you love them 
You care for them and are there for them. We thank you for this time in your word and ask for your, your, uh, your blessing on the remainder of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.